Welcome to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Claire McKeever Burgett, and I serve as the Associate Director of the Academy for Spiritual Formation, an international ministry of the Upper Room. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. In this month's podcast, I had the honor of interviewing Dana Trent, Academy faculty, Upper Room Books author, and professor of world religions and critical thinking at Wake Tech Community College. Dana is also an ordained Baptist minister and former hospital chaplain, and her work has appeared on Time.com and in Religion News Service, Sojourners, Religion Dispatches, and The Christian Century. Her third book, One Breath at a Time, A Skeptic's Guide to Christian Meditation, was released January 1st of this year from Upper Room Books and serves as the focus of our conversation. Dana is also the award-winning author of For Sabbath's Sake, Embracing Your Need for Rest, Worship, and Community, and Saffron Cross, the unlikely story of how a Christian minister married a Hindu monk. Dana winds down from writing and teaching with episodes of The Young and the Restless, as well as leading cardio and strength training classes for the YMCA. Talking with Dana about all things meditation, prayer, contemplation and action, Thomas Merton, and how meditation helped her heal from the sudden loss of her mother in 2017 was a true gift, and I am the better for it. I can't wait to use her book in this new year as my own guide to a more accessible daily practice of connecting with God. Listen on, beloveds, and enjoy. Hey, Dana. Hey, Claire. It's so good to be together. It's so wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So before we get into talking about your new book, which is One Breath at a Time, A Skeptic's Guide to Christian Meditation, I want to talk generally for a bit about who you are and what you love. Mm. So like what makes you tick? What makes you light up? What helps you come alive? Mm. Well, I am an Enneagram type two. So helping, helping is what makes me feel alive and energetic. And But I, have a, I just discovered that I have a three wing. And so I'm learning how to lean into that as well. I thought I was a one wing. So that's new for me to discover that territory. I also teach bar for the local YMCA. So that's like a ballet class. So I find that movement working out, teaching others makes me tick, in addition to my daytime teaching job as a world religions professor at a local community college. And I have a cat. I mean, gosh, aren't our animals wonderful? Yes. Yes. (laughs) That makes me tick, certainly. But most of all, spiritual life. Like, when you bring all that together, it's about exploring the mystical sacred threads that weave through our everyday lives and trying to put meaning and words onto those threads for others and for myself. Mm. So that's where I would start. Yeah. Well, I'm an Enneagram 3 with a wing 2. So Yay! we have <laughs> found our match. That's right? awesome. I love it. <laughs> um, and it's always learning about, you know, what that means. And, yes. Um, for those who don't know, the two is the helper, mm-hmm. uh, and the three is the achiever or the performer. So, right. uh, you know, we'll do another podcast someday on 
the oh, Enneagram. <laughs> do, yes, I would love Inter- to hear that. Interview somebody about that. And, yes. And I know a lot of folks in the academy are mm-hmm. interested in that. But mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit, um, how did you get to this place of teaching bar and world religions mm-hmm. and the threat of that kind of or finding its um, focus in spirituality. So what what does the landscape of your faith look like? Like mm. where do you come from and and how did that begin for you? Mm, that's a great question. I've had a very circuitous path um, to where I am today and my faith has taken all kinds of twists and turns, but I've sort of come back to the center. I grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition, so I grew up with my single mom who raised me as Baptist and we were you know pretty traditional and went to church every Sunday and Wednesday and because we lived in a poor rural area like that's what you did you went to church there was nothing else to do you couldn't afford to do anything else and so I grew up with the church as the hub of my life and then I went to college a Moravian college actually in Winston-Salem North Carolina and so that was the first time I ever knew that there were people other than Baptists out in the world. Mm-hmm. I thought everybody was a Baptist, so it like broke open my world to Moravian cookies and love feasts and all kinds of cool traditions that I knew nothing about. And slowly, like inch by inch through college and then seminary at Duke Divinity School and then chaplaincy, I found that I got a lot of what Barbara Brown Taylor calls holy envy from other traditions. And that is, what is it about other denominations or other religions or faith traditions that energizes us? To go back to our original question, what is it that we'd love to incorporate or utilize that would make us go deeper into our own traditions, give us a richer, more valuable faith walk? And so that's where my curiosity came in. And I began teaching seven years ago, and I've taught world religions for five years now. And incorporating the whole body, spirit, the bar, the movement through the YMCA, which is a wonderful organization. Every day I learn something new, both about my body and spirit, but also about other people's faith walks. And I realize that just like you said, the landscape, every moment, every day planted the seed for where I am now. And it's just starting to bloom, so I'm learning what it looks like. But I've I've been so fortunate to have lots of different exposure to other people and stories and narratives and faith traditions. So that's that's where I come from. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Yeah, the Moravians uh, have always, uh, not always, but I also grew up Southern Baptist and then learned in my 20s about the Moravians Mm -hmm. and sort of that there are distant cousins as Baptists. That's right. uh, But somehow they got kind of erased in my, I grew up Southern Baptist in Texas and so big church, all of that. Um, But yeah, kind of turning back to that simple Mm. way of love is the way that I understand it with the Moravians. So that's beautiful. Thank you. So you have this new book, Mm -hmm. One Breath at a Time, A Skeptic's Guide to Christian Meditation that you've published uh, here at the Upper Room with us that, of course, the Academy for Spiritual Formation uh, is a part of and connected to. And so um, it's all about your journey with meditation and particularly Christian meditation. And how did you come to this as a spiritual practice? Mm. So what was going on with you that kind of led you here? And who who were your guides? Mm. Um, how, how did you get the help uh, right. to know how to do it? Oh, 
That's a great question, too. So I grew up as Baptist um, with a very fervent prayer life. Baptists are prayers. We like to pray. We we talk to God a lot, and we talk to God a lot aloud and extemporaneously and with lots of fervor and spirit. But I wasn't very good at sitting still and being quiet. Mm. That was my growth edge. And I had an inciting incident, and that was my mother's sudden death in August of 2017. Actually, I was here at the upper room, and she became very sick while we were recording the first episode audiobook. And so I rushed home to be by her side, and she spent two weeks very, very ill and eventually died in hospice. But after she died, I was having all of these trauma nightmares. And I went to my therapist and I said, you know, what do I do about these? These are, I've got to sleep. I've got, I've got to get some rest if I'm going to start this grieving process. And she said, you need to stop the automatic thinking. And I remember being so frustrated with her. Like, what does that mean? And that is so not helpful right now. And it, but it started something. She mm. planted a seed, and the seed was, why don't you try a meditation app? Just do some guided meditation and see if you can calm your brain down. And so I started a meditation app, a very popular one that everyone loves, but I could not stand it. It mm. did not work for me. And looking back, I can see that what she was trying to do was, of course, get me to calm down my autonomic nervous system, the parasympathetic system, um, engage the parasympathetic system. But the app didn't work. And so it started this journey of, okay, if I can't use the app that everybody uses and everybody raves about, what am I going to do? And how, how can I even imagine making this tool accessible and calming down my brain? And so because I'm a teacher, I did what teachers do when we write curriculum, we write lesson plans. And I thought, well, why can't I make my own lesson plan for myself and mm. see where it goes? So that's where this started. It came from an urgent need to calm down my brain, but then a realization that really what I needed, too, was to learn to be still and listen for God, especially in those hard moments of grief when I needed to feel God's comfort and I needed mm. to experience God's presence. But I needed to do it in a way that was accessible and easy and a way that didn't seem over overstimulating or overwhelming. Mm. Do you typically practice meditation alone or can you practice it with other people? Well, for years I had been practicing it with other people in that I had been on this, the other side of meditation, of teaching meditation. That's mm. what makes this book so interesting to me, even as a person who's lived this journey, I wasn't new to meditation. It's just that when I meditated, I was always the teacher and therefore in control. Mm. I was leading the meditation session. I was watching the timer, guiding the students. But now I'm, I'm alone in the living room in the morning, sitting on the cushion. Maybe the cat comes along, you know, and but it's very simple, and I have a set thing that I do each morning, usually for no more than three minutes. Mm-hmm. And that has been very new to me, especially as a Baptist. We love community. We love fellowship. We love to do everything together. And so becoming a contemplative, I don't, I'm not even sure I could say that about myself, but um, a beginner contemplative, I'll say that, to use Thomas Merton's words, mm-hmm. has been really a challenge, but also very refreshing something I never imagined myself doing is sitting in my living room at 6 a.m. breathing for three minutes. 
just a whole new world has opened up for me. And I hope this world opens up for the reader. That's my prayer. Mm. So what makes it Christian? Mm. Great question. And that's one that, that people ask. And that's one that I ask. And that's why the, the book is called A Skeptic's Guide to Christian mm-hmm. Meditation. I was skeptical, A, that meditation even worked, and skeptical as to whether Christians could do it. So I did what, you know, a lot of us writers and teachers do. I thought, well, let's go back to Scripture. Let's see, are there scriptural examples of meditation? And there are. We find it in the Psalms when we are advised to meditate on the Word of God day and night. We find it in Jesus the Contemplative who sits quietly and listens for the will of God. We find it um, in the early church. We find it in the mystics, the medieval mystics. We find it in Thomas Merton in the 20th century. So, yes, it's absolutely Christian, but I think it's a flavor of Christianity that in our loud world, in our world of lots of prayers, lots of talking with God, it's something that we don't do very much because it requires us to be still, be quiet, and listen. That's hard. It's hard for somebody like me, especially, who loves to talk. Mm. It's difficult. But yes, I think it's possible for Christians to use this practice. And I think it's a long lost, buried practice Mm -hmm. in the Christian church that we need to unearth, especially in a time where there's so much going on in our world. And there's lots of things that we need to be thinking about and listening for God's guidance on because we know that. Proper action needs deep contemplation, Mm. and you can't have one without the other. Mm. Right. I mean, that's straight from Merton. Exactly. uh, Who, of course, got it, I believe, straight from Jesus. Yes. (laughs) Right. I mean, two good sources. It's all right there. (laughs) You know, you go into the desert, you go into the wilderness, you go into the quiet uh, in order to then act. Uh, from that place, yeah, of That's quiet. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, what a beautiful gift to offer us, as you said, in this day and age mm. uh, when there are so many voices and noises and mm-hmm. things and people uh, and governments <laughs> and all the things competing uh, for our attention mm-hmm. uh, and for our allegiance. Um, so, yeah, there's a beautiful vision for me uh, of the wise woman who Mm -hmm. sits with her legs crossed and her um, pointer finger connected to her thumb and so you know just open Mm -hmm. right on and that it's sort of this strength and wisdom wisdom and hope kind of connected Mm -hmm. um, and then the openness to just receive what it is Um, so yeah saw you sitting there on your cushion in your living room (laughs) um, just as the wise woman. Oh, um, thank you. Listening for your own inner wisdom that, of course, is the wisdom of God um, as well. So That's right. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, it's it's a hopeful thing uh, for all of us, I think, to to feel like it can be something that we can actually grasp and do. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because I know that in my own life I've – struggled with uh, getting quiet and getting mm-hmm. still. Um, I like to write and write. Writing a spiritual practice has always been a big thing for me. And yet 
I often feel the spirit sort of saying, put the pen down, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, let's get out of the words for a little bit, yes. right? Um, mm-hmm. For those of us who do mm-hmm. like to write and uh, pray, mm-hmm. and like you said, um, sort of hanging out in that verbal place, but then it's like putting it down and just yes. in and out with that breath. Yes. <sighs> One breath at a time, One right? One breath at a time. <laughs> One breath at a time. Yes. Yeah. You're, you're so right. And I, and I'm like you, I mean, writing as a spiritual practice was my morning practice. Mm. That's what I did every day, every morning. So it was a really, it was a real stretch to take those three minutes and be quiet and not have my hand moving. But it's amazing how quickly when you are open, how quickly you can feel God's presence and hear God's voice. If you're really, if you're really intentional, let's say, if you hold that intention, mm-hmm. that's really what matters, even if it's just for three minutes. Yeah. So you do write a lot about uh, meditation being a practice and not necessarily an exercise in perfection. Mm-hmm. Whew. We just need to pause there for, a <laughs> for all of the perfectionists among us. Yes, <laughs> amen. Um, who think, I mean, I think, too, in our... Uh, uh, kind of Christian church culture, mm-hmm. uh, we often think that there's a right way to right. do things. Mm-hmm. Um, so just say a little more about that. Um, mm. How how did you, how were you able to let go of the need to perfect mm. this? And uh, what has that looked like for you? Mm. It really, it came from Merton. I've got to give Thomas Merton credit for that all the way. I found his quote. I think it's in the book on contemplative prayer. And I don't know how this came to me or when, but it was shortly after that visit with the therapist. And it was the quote about, we will always be beginners at the spiritual life. And let us be convinced that we will be nothing but beginners. Mm. And for me, that means quit trying to be perfect. Like, stop. You're just... You're, you're going to bang your head against the wall. That's not what this is about. Being a beginner puts you, uh, p- puts you in a place of humility and trust and God in God's rightful center. Mm. It, it reorients us. It's a posture. It's a way of keeping it a- accessible. And the minute we slam m- perfection on it or wanting to be a master at something, that's the minute that those hands that you were talking about a minute ago of the wise women, they close up. Yep, immediately. Yeah. Because then we're trying to fine tune a skill or do something in the exact right way. And that's not what it's about. And I think that is the message that I pray one breath at a time brings to people that you this you don't have to do this just one way. Mm. It is accessible. You don't have to sit down and be completely still for twenty minutes every day. I think that's why people don't do it because they do, they expect perfection and they don't think of it as practice. There's a big difference between the two of those things. And that's one of the things, as you know, that the Academy Mm. preaches and teaches Mm -hmm. and offers is the practice. That's right. The invitation to the practice Mm -hmm. and that living the life, practicing the life is what changes you. Yes. Right? So it's Mm -hmm. not the you know, oh, I meditated today and I mastered it because I, you know, didn't let my mind wander. Right. Right. Because that even has a sense of control. Exactly. That's that, right. That keeps our fists sort of clenched mm-hmm. and trying to manipulate something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the more that I have 
tried to practice sitting still and being quiet, um, the more open I become Mm -hmm. and sort of letting those thoughts kind of come and then go, Mm -hmm. come and then go, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Our beautiful guide and teacher, uh, the late, great John McGabgab Mm. said, everything comes, everything goes Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. Right. And it, I'm moving my hand in and out now, but it, it reminds mm. me of the water. That's right. You know, like those waves and then the connection, right. you know, to the moon and the, the tide and the pool and the, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of that ebb and the flow. And so um, mm. that's a beautiful, that's just helpful for me to remember right now for my own practice. Uh, that's that is very helpful. And it's, it's like the breath, you know, inhale, exhale, mm. it's flow. It's what Lao Tzu teaches in Taoism when he talks about be like water. You know, water goes wherever. It's flexible. It flows. And John McGavgav, oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. I I felt myself like I could feel it in my throat when you said his name because it's just so much wisdom in one man. And we need to remember that. We need to remember those wise words and not be so judgmental, but just let it flow and let it go. It's fine. Mm -hmm. We're so hard on ourselves, oh, yeah. and that's why we don't we don't try we don't try meditation because we think it has to be perfect and it keeps us from even trying. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, our goal is much like the academy is an invitation to a rhythm. This book is an invitation to a rhythm. Mm-hmm. That's what we want. We hope we pray that readers will take away that invitation to hold space for this practice. Yeah, it's a beautiful gift. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I've been the recipient of the gift. I'm so fortunate. Mm -hmm. So in the book, do you offer practical ways for people to begin? Yes, very practical. The first thing I say to everyone is commit to three minutes a day. Mm -hmm. That's it. Not 20, not 10, not 15, three minutes. And you, you'd be surprised how long three minutes is, right? And, it, and you think, oh, what can I accomplish in three minutes? Well, a lot, actually, if you bring the in- intention to it. And also, it, it sets you up to win, so to speak. I mean, that's not the language that I prefer, but is it is the language that brings us back to the cushion. So if we do our three minutes each day, it's accessible, it's feasible. We can find three minutes somewhere, even if we're sitting in the car in the parking lot. Then it brings us back. The invitation is there. But if we set it at 20 minutes, mm, that's a little harder to keep every day. So that's my number one piece of advice is three minutes a day. The other thing is to make it your own unique practice. There is no right way. There is no wrong way. It is your practice and yours alone. And also to be consistent if you can. That is another gift of the Academy, right? It's consistency. Whether you're on a five-day or a two-year, you know that that time is coming up. You know that you're going to have a place to practice. It's looking forward to that practice and that space. And that's what this everyday three-minute practice does for me. I know that even if I miss a day, I can jump back in. No judgment, right? Jump in wherever I am and just start there. And God is there to meet me. I mean, what a gift. What a gift is that, that we, no matter how long we've been off the cushion, when we return, God is there, and we only need be intentional about hearing and listening. So how's your sleep been? 
Oh, much better. Yeah? Thank you. Yes. Okay. I'm still dreaming a lot about my mother, but it's become um, much more spiritual and mystical and really fun to interpret those dreams. She comes mm-hmm. to me a lot in the dreams, yeah. but the, it's not the urgent trauma dreams that I was having in the beginning. And so I've experienced a great healing mm-hmm. from this meditation practice just in a year of three minutes a day. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, it's it's made a remarkable difference. I find myself also being less reactive during the day. I can be responsive to other people. Mm-hmm. I can hold space for others because I've allowed myself the space to be with God in the morning. So all around, it's just become an incredibly enriching process. Just just a 40-day lesson plan of three minutes a day is amazing what a difference it makes. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Thank you. Thanks for asking. So I'm wondering if there's something about being a human in this particular time and place and culture and country that might make meditation essential Hmm. for our survival. Well, I think it definitely goes back to the action contemplation part for sure. The other issue that we're dealing with, and I talk a lot about this in Chapter 3, that's the physiology chapter. It also contains some technology, is we're living in a world where our sympathetic nervous system, which is our adrenaline, our fight-or-flight system, is constantly stimulated. Even if we aren't being exposed to trauma, per se, like person-to-person or situation-to-situation, Even our smartphones, we know, cause an increase in blood pressure and pulse when they ping. So that's Mm -hmm. been scientifically proven. So we have all this stimuli coming at us all day. And so by breathing, deep breathing is a way to stimulate the vagus nerve, one of the longest nerves in the body, which which activates our parasympathetic nervous system, which calms our body down. So that's number one, right? Just Just the mechanics of being a human in today's tech world. But also, there's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on politically. There's a lot of justice issues. There's a lot the church needs to respond to. And we can't respond faithfully unless we have spent time in contemplation and listening for the ways in which God and the gospel is calling us to respond Mm -hmm. rather than being reactive and angry and frustrated all the time. There's space for that. But then the next step is, okay, God, We need to listen, action and contemplation, contemplation and action. It has to be a full circle. Yeah. And of course, Thomas Merton being the Benedictine, Mm -hmm. uh, the work and the prayer. Yes, the work and the prayer. and the work. I mean, right, that's the contemplation and the action. That's right. The two hang out so beautifully together. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, liturgy being the work of the people of God. That's right. (laughs) And so... uh, Perhaps meditation is its own form of liturgy. It is. That's a great way of putting it. Yes. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And thinking about kind of what uh, we talked about earlier and do you practice alone or do you practice with people? I also had this thought that I would imagine even when we are doing it alone or solo, there's, do you sense that there are the saints Mm. hanging out with you right um yes that Mm -hmm. i mean there's this connectedness that that maybe you feel in the midst of that breath Mm -hmm. um i had a friend who said 
that when she practiced meditation uh, that wasn't Christian specifically, so she wasn't meditating on scripture Mm -hmm. or sort of with the intent to connect with God, she always left feeling lonely. Mm. She said that for her Christian meditation always left her feeling connected. Right. And I was like, huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? It is. So I'm just curious what you It is. What you think about that? I love that. I think she's spot on. I think it's the difference between a lot of Christians worry that meditation is going to empty them, that the goal is mm. emptying the mind. And in some traditions that is the goal and that's perfectly appropriate. But that's not the case in Christianity. It's it's the opposite. We want to be full of God's light and love and loving kindness so that we can then extend it to others. And so I can completely relate to what she was feeling and thinking in that moment of the two strands of meditation. And I think especially, and we think about the academy model too, where we come together to practice together there's tons of space in the academy model for silence but we're together in our Mm -hmm. silence right Mm -hmm. and so we know there's accountability there's also community but also um you know in our meditation practice the examine portion of the meditation which is something that we do every day in one breath at a time helps us go back and review Where did we feel God's presence? Where did we feel connected with the saints? Where did we feel mysticism? Mm -hmm. What hope, if we didn't feel it today, what hope might we have for tomorrow? And so that examine piece of noticing, of being aware, I think is very important because that gives us the richness of walking away from the practice feeling full as opposed to walking away from it feeling lonely and empty. Mm beautiful thank you sort of again that inward outward Mm -hmm. um sort of circular flow here we are again with the flow yes (laughs) um but sort of we go inward so Mm -hmm. that we can come outward um we turn to ourselves Mm -hmm. and our wisdom and the god within us in order to connect with the love and god and light and others and Mm-hmm. all of that so it's a really beautiful thing yes and you said you talk of course you give folks some handles for the examine mm-hmm. practice in the book uh so that they don't just you know feel lost right <laughs> i exactly. think you know a lot again oh, a lot of people yes. you know are kind of going this is a bit of a stretch just like it was for you That's and so right. um mm-hmm. so just what kind of in these last few moments would you offer uh, to folks who are just mm. beginning, mm. Um, who are like you were over a year ago, and, and maybe have had a very specific event that mm-hmm. has caused them trauma, or maybe a series of them throughout their life, or who are just like, I just really want to figure out how to connect with God in a different or a new mm. way. Like, what would you, what do you say? I, I say, begin at the beginning. So begin with that three minutes. I also say, I I pray that they will join me on this journey of one breath at a time because I feel strongly that the spirit led me through a very specific path when the app didn't work. Mm. And going through that process of studying scripture, early church history, the physiology of our bodies, 
these five approaches to meditation, these five methods, and then creating a 40-day cycle or lesson mm-hmm. plan Absolutely. that mirrors the 40-day wilderness journey that Jesus took before his ministry. I did not come up with that plan. Like that's that's divinely led. That is definitely not me. That is a gift from God. And so I pray that people will will pick up the book and use this as an anchor because I know that when I started I needed an anchor. And I tried to be the woman who sat down with the palms open and breathe and praise God, you know, it it came. It showed up. Because I was willing, I was desperate, you know, quite mm, frankly, because I was right. so traumatized for healing and figuring a way out. And this is the gift that came out of all of that trauma and all of that hurt and grief is one breath at a time. And so my prayer is that they'll use this guide as an anchor to anchor their practice mm. and keep it very simple. Three minutes a day, breath meditation, centering meditation, Lectio Divina, loving kindness, devotional meditation a little bit of noticing and examine. Mm. And we don't have to make it fancy. We don't have to make it long and perfect. It is a practice mm. and it will change shape every day of our lives and every stage of our lives to go back to your landscape metaphor. That was beautiful. Our faith is supposed to look different every day and be dynamic. Yeah. But the point is that we use spiritual practice to stay in it and to remain connected with God so that we can be connected with each other. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Will you tell us your mom's name? Her name was Judy. So I'm actually named after her. My first name is Judith. That's the J. Yeah, that's the J. Mm -hmm. That's the J and J Dana, which is why I keep it. It seems so eccentric, but it's really, it's in her honor. I'm a junior of sorts. So, yes, so she was Judy. Mm-hmm. Like She was named after Judy Garland. Oh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Thanks yeah. for remembering her. Yeah. Thank you for sharing part of her story with us by sharing your story with us. Oh, and it's an honor. We are grateful for that connection and love. Thank you. That has led us here and will lead us onward. So thank you for that. Amen. Yeah. Thanks, Claire. You can find Dana's book, One Breath at a Time, A Skeptic's Guide to Christian Meditation, by visiting the Upper Room online bookstore at bookstore.upperroom.org or anywhere books are sold. Using five approaches, breath, meditation, Lexio Divina, centering meditation, loving kindness meditation, and devotional meditation, One Breath at a Time offers a practical, 40-day guide to beginning and sustaining a Christian meditation practice. I am grateful for Dana's curiosity and willingness to try meditation because it produced this lovely book that really serves more as a loving, gentle companion as I too seek to meditate, breathe, and center my whole self in God. I hope you'll join me.
To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides like Dana Trent, join us at the next five-day or two-year Academy. For more information, visit academy.upperroom.org.